Hey moms, was your dinner last night the leftover chicken nuggets from your kids' try? Is your current idea of self-care closing the door when you pee? If the only chance you have for exercise is the squats you do when you pick up your kids' Legos, well then take a seat, mama. You're in the right place. I'm Corinne. And I'm Jess. And this is Mama Mama Bites. Bites. This is Corinne here uh, with my super sexy morning voice. (laughs) It's 5.23 a.m. here in the Northeast. Usually I don't tell you the time of day that I'm recording, um, but I'd like to situate how quiet I'm being right now and that um, the recording I did with Alia Macarena will be a little bit louder than I'll be talking to you right now. So you'll have to adjust your volume as you often do with the Mama Bites podcast when we start talking. Um, but I I really couldn't think of a better time to record the intro for the DMER um, or dysphoric milk ejection reflex um, episode of the Mama Bites podcast because uh, this is something that's quite close to my heart um, since I dealt with this when I was a little bit when I was nursing but mostly when I was pumping with both of my kids and it was um, a pretty nasty experience that I got through but um, you know when the cats woke me up at 4:30 this morning asking for their food um, by hissing at each other and um, clawing me in the face and then eventually um, throwing up I decided um, you know what I'm gonna get up and I am going to record that intro because you know this is around the time that a lot of you mamas listening um, have your earbuds in and are nursing and bleary eyed and maybe you're on your third feeding of the overnight and you're just like how am I going to get through this day this is just feeling like totally overwhelming I'm so exhausted and so um, you know I just wanted to to be here with you guys um, who are nursing and dealing with that experience and um, and and hoping that you are getting support and help and connecting with one another at this time because as we know that is the most important and helpful thing is building our villages as mamas so um yeah I I really hope that this is um, a helpful podcast for you. Um, Aaliyah was pretty wonderful to talk to and it was it was really my pleasure. I'm so glad that there's somebody who's finally taken this issue seriously and put a name to it. Um, it may not change your experience, but but often when we have a name to something, it does create meaning and we feel like, we're held um, and and don't have to hold it alone. We're not by ourselves. And so much of this podcast, uh, this episode in particular, is about how Alia was able to put this together 
because um, there were women finding each other saying, me too, this is going on for me too, and nobody else around me understands it, but thank God I can connect with someone else who does. Um, so that being said, uh, before we move on to the podcast, just a couple things, just want to um, remind you to come out and see me um, next weekend at the um, North Shore Baby Bash in Peabody, Mass. That's going to be at the um, Marriott in Peabody, and it's going to be around 11 o'clock. It's going to go to 4, uh, so that's going to be Sunday, September 22nd, and there'll be babysitting so that you can come out and listen to the speakers, um, me included. I'm going to do a mindful eating exercise and um, hunger scale exercise, all those basic um, and foundational things that we all can spend some time going back to. Um, Also, I've been letting um, listeners know that I would love to accept new clients into my practice. So if you are in the Canton area, uh, Canton Mass area, and can come on in, or if you are willing to work remotely um, via a Skype-like type platform um, that is uh, secure, for individual sessions, uh, I would love that too. So if you are interested in being a part of my practice, one of my clients in my practice, um, you can go to Corinne Crosley, C-O-R-I-N-N-E, Crosley, C-R-O-S-S-L-E-Y.com, or you can just go to the Mama Bites website and um, you can find the contact me in terms of my practice. Uh, Mama Bites is spelled M-O-M-M-A. Okay, I'm going to stop prattling on. I know I fast forward through the beginnings of podcasts a lot of the time. So here is my episode with Alia. I hope you find it helpful and I am with you, mamas. Take care. You know, as I started writing the book, I I started thinking about my experience and I said, you know, I'm just going to Google this one last time. And then I found you in your in your you research. So, so, um, I, uh, when I had my daughter in 2012, so, and, and, you know, we can talk about this, but, um, I kind of had, I don't know if you've found this. I'm so uh, curious about your research. My experience with, um, now is it DMER? Is it DMER? How do we say it? I call, I, I, I call it DMER. But okay. The internet does what the internet does, <laughs> so both both are acceptable. But I've never been able to make the switch to DMER. <laughs> okay, okay. So DMER, and that's short for, of course, dysphoric milk ejection reflex. Correct. Right. Okay. And so this thing that I never had words to, I only really got when I pumped. Yeah, uh, that can happen. Um, and working theories as to why there are some moms who just have it when they breastfeed and some moms that just have it when they pump because it does vary. The most common experience is both, but there are variances. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as we speculate on the hormones involved and what they're in the chemicals and what they're possibly doing during lactation and how they're acting inappropriately with DMER, um, again, one could speculate as to why some women have slightly different experiences, but it is in the realm of a normal DMER experience to possibly have that. That's already already just normalizing that it feels so much better. Good. Um, 
because it, it, it came back as I was um, pumping for my son, which I did uh, less of with him. I had a lot of trouble with my daughter initially um, with latch and things like that. And so I was sort of like the queen of pumping and it was just rough. It was so yeah. rough. Um, and so, and, and just sort of like seeing your research where people were trying to explain to their providers what was happening yeah. and their providers were, you know, so wisely assessing them for postpartum, which is great, but it wasn't, it's, it's not postpartum. Right. <laughs> and it is not. And it's great that the awareness of postpartum depression has spread to the point that when mothers do have mood disorders after giving birth, that care providers know what to do and know what to say and can, you know, help and support them. But there are a lot of other things that can go wrong in the postpartum period that we still do not know about. So jumping to conclusions, um, you know, doesn't doesn't serve the patient by any means. Right. Uh, and a lot of these moms with DMER uh, who don't have postpartum depression because it can go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there there are a lot that just have DMER they know they know it's not postpartum depression they know they feel absolutely fine in between episodes and they still find joy in life and caregiving and mm -hmm. taking you know taking care of the baby and all of the other things and then it's these momentary passing storm clouds but yeah to try to continue to educate the medical community because they really they go into their jobs you know armed with the knowledge that they have and ready to solve problems and give answers. And it's hard for a lot of care pro providers to say, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe this is something we don't know a lot about right, yet. Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. And might not have a name yet, but could still be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what ended up happening as I, so that's what was, that was my story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's, um, let's, let's kind of like backtrack way backtrack and let's, let's talk about how you got even into lactation consulting and, um, what you're, I mean, clearly you're passionate about this work, but, but yeah, let's tell us a little bit of just your journey into lactation consulting. Uh, well, uh, my second child. Uh, my son was born in 2004, and we were in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and the Abington Nursing Mothers Group, um, they had the nursing, was it the Nursing Advisory Council, I think, that was kind of a regional group outside the city there, was plugged into the hospitals quite nicely, so they got referrals uh, from the hospital of moms who went home breastfeeding. So I got a call from a volunteer counselor when I had my son and was doing fine at first and kind of just dismissed the call, mm -hmm. uh, but then did end up struggling with some kind of minor issue at some point and got back in touch with the counselor. And I just, the, the support that I received, it was unlike any experience I'd had with my first child, mm -hmm. um, having peer support, another mother, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing just got really really got me interested and I started going to their mother's groups and then I started looking into their training program to become a volunteer counselor. So I did that for some time and we relocated. And so I looked for a way to continue to work with breastfeeding mothers uh, when we came to the Western area of New York and I got involved with the WIC program. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I was a peer counselor for WIC in the Finger Lakes region, and they ended up uh, supporting me for the Certified Lactation Counselor Program, so I became a CLC. Okay. And then 
uh, after I was a, my my third daughter who I had DMER with because I did not have DMER with the other two children. She mm-hmm. was born in 2007, and I was still a CLC at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I started collecting my hours to sit for the IBCLC exam. Um, 2012, I think, is when I ended up uh, sitting for the exam mm. and becoming an IBCLC. And at that point, I was moving away from working with WIC and everything at that point was all of my lactation focus ended up becoming on on the work with DMER yeah. uh, because there's a high demand and I'm I'm the only uh, I'm the only one. <laughs> You're the game. You're the game in town. You're the game yeah, on the yeah. globe. <laughs> and, in fact, one of my first public speaking engagements was actually in Spain, and so I became an international speaker before I became a national speaker <laughs> because it seems that the culture uh, in Europe in accepting uh, what we don't know yet <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, ha- was easier to penetrate before the before the medical community in in the states. Wow, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. So when someone's working with you, um, so so women are sort of finding their way to you with DMER, and yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was going to say most most women end up finding the website first, and then quickly go to the Facebook support group page. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a couple thousand. I don't think I'm up to three thousand yet, but I have oh. a large large group of mothers there. Two wonderful moderators who help me just keep an eye on things. So yeah. it's a very peaceful place where it's really the only breastfeeding board I've ever seen where um, women talk about. Uh, breastfeeding, formula feeding, and weaning, and there are no mommy wars. Everybody just shows up with love and support. Wow. Uh, So it's been a very easy group to moderate, but there are people who will reach out to me with private messages or emails for sometimes just telling their story. Uh, A lot of moms just wanting to say thank you. Um, And some people with additional questions, so I've done my best to put all the information out there uh, for people to be able to find on their own so mm-hmm. that can free up free up my waiting list in my email inbox sure sure absolutely yeah so um do you want to share any any more about um your personal experience and and journey with dmer what that was like for you with your daughter uh well i had severe despondent dmer uh, so it was a very significant negative emotional experience when I had it. Um, and I just, I think it really aided me that I was already working in, in the field of lactation because it was the sort of thing where I had never come across this, but I knew, and though I knew I was special, I couldn't be this special. Like mm-hmm. it was once I can, once I connected it to letdown, mm-hmm. it was like, this is, this is a thing mm-hmm. and this, and this can't just be me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a dog with a bone <laughs> <laughs> and I went searching and searching, uh, online and found a handful of buried, buried threads on message boards of very brave, vulnerable mothers yeah. explaining the exact same experience I had, uh, you know, going back five years. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and nobody ever answering them like these well, lonely, yeah, yeah. lonely, buried posts of these moms who were brave enough to overcome their sense of shame and and 
the sense that they must be doing something wrong because mm. that's what a lot of moms yeah. with DMER feel like when yeah. they don't know what's going on right. uh, and use their voice and and nobody was saying me too. Yeah. Nobody yeah. was, you know, affirming their experience. So I ended up finding uh, my biggest jumping off point when I started looking on the message board for uh, IBCLCs working with moms. Uh, so there's a board that IBCLCs will go to when they're having trouble solving a problem and they reach out to their colleagues. And that's where I ended up coming uh, across my mentor, Diane, Diane, Diane Westing, Wiesinger, excuse me, all that stuttering, Diane <laughs> Wiesinger, uh, who actually lives uh, in, the, in the area regionally, but she described uh, a mom who had overcoming sense of despondency and sadness before letdown. Mm-hmm. And she actually proposed some ideas. She said, this seems, this seems like it must be hormonal or chemical. Mm-hmm. Are we looking at vasopressin? Are we looking at oxytocin? What could be going on here? Mm-hmm. And though nobody had any answers for her, her brand of curiosity, uh, aligned with mine. And mm-hmm. I knew that she was my woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and she was also very well known. Uh, so she had some power behind her name because mm-hmm. I was a nobody mm-hmm. who was just saying, I just had a baby and I feel sad. Mm-hmm. And who wants to listen to that sob story? <laughs> um, so she was very supportive and we started our investigative work and worked along some other professionals and, uh, and medical people and scientists and started to put together some theories. And I started, I started collecting my mom's. Mm-hmm. I remember when my goal was to at least have 500, and now I've quadrupled that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's such a relief to to have a name, to, you know, e- even though it's um, long in the past for me, you know, like my my youngest is about to turn four, but, and, and I'm a person who, I'm a researcher, you know, like not, mm-hmm. not by trade, but, um, you know, something comes up and... I'm I'm in the stacks. I'm looking through the books. I'm I'm on the computer, uh, and I'm yeah. talking to so you know anybody who can give me their experience. And I I was really lucky at the time that um, at least when I had my daughter, that I actually had a number of uh, close mom friends who were um, having babies, and I. And I went to all of them sort of expecting because <laughs> I was a first time mom and I was mm-hmm. expecting for them to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that happens. And and no one, um, you know, I did get a, a lot of love and support, but also, you know, no, no, I've never <laughs> experienced anything like that. I've never heard of anything like that. And it really feels like, you know, so the work that you're doing must be creating this groundswell because now when I've um when I when I reached out to you and you um agreed to talk with me I like then of course I was miserable to be around because I'm like she found it and I'm gonna <laughs> talk to the woman who gave it a name and um you know a couple of the people who I had originally gone to said oh yeah that's a thing <laughs> and I was like yeah that's a thing <laughs> and I had since you know like sort of mentioned it to a client who was nursing and she said, oh yeah, I heard an episode of The Longest Shortest Time um, where they were talking about that. And I went, oh my God. Uh, oh, I'll have to go look that one yes. up come across that one. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you're you're creating this groundswell. 
I think. Yes, there is movement. You know, I keep a Google alert for it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> try to keep up with the various posts and things like that. Um, uh, but yeah, there there was it. It was breastfeeding's best kept secret. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's because we lost the verbal knowledge uh, passed between women with mm-hmm. the Industrial Revolution and mm-hmm. the onset of formula, and so therefore all of the wisdom that was shared between women was lost. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have anybody to tell us that this could be a thing, mm-hmm. or whether it's some kind of biological uh, breakdown because of our modern society and culture. Um, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, but yes, the, the, the number of women who came to me, you know, saying I, and still, there are still women on the board who, who don't, who don't tell their partner that still, though they feel camaraderie inside the group and they like to know they're not alone, mm-hmm. that it's so counter to the breast is best right. Donna experience Mm -hmm. that the pro breastfeeding movement made Mm -hmm. which great it increased breastfeeding rates but it's also done a disservice for the women who struggle in whatever way that they struggle yes yes Yes. um so when a mother is you know woohoo i'm successfully breastfeeding and you know i have enough milk and i don't have sore nipples anymore Mm -hmm. and we're doing this and then this creeps up on them right. and they have never heard about it and nobody's ever talked about it. And this was supposed to be warm and fuzzy and feel good and bonding. And I was going to love it and I was going to feel like the best mom. And that is not my experience at all. Right. The sense of personal shame is intense. And that's just magnified by the fact that the actual dysphoria that a mom feels can often manifest as shame. As shame, right. <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. So to then get women to feel comfortable trying to explain something that also just sounds weird. Yeah, crazy. Crazy. It sounds crazy. You feel like killing yourself for just two two minutes? For just two minutes. you're fine again? (laughs) Right. Right. It feels like someone has just delivered the news that your most prized person that you love the most has just been killed, but only for two minutes. I mean, that's what it felt like. I just kept coming back to it. I'm like... It feels like I just got the news that someone just died. Like someone I just can't live without just died. And then and then it would just evaporate. And it's interesting, too, because I don't know as a therapist if you're uh, familiar at all with uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett's work. She wrote a book called How Emotions Are Made. And she talks about the idea of emotion concepts. Okay. And that through life and our experiences as we start to identify the physical manifestation in our body and label it with a feeling Mm -hmm. that your feeling of so what dmer does to you Mm -hmm. feeling like you just got this horrible news Mm -hmm. that physical manifestation physically could be exactly probably is the same for another mom but her emotion concept for what Mm. she's feeling in her body could be different sure yes so there are a lot of moms who feel this sense of i have done something horribly wrong yeah 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 i am not a good person Mm -hmm. i shouldn't have sent that email i shouldn't have said that thing (sighs) i shouldn't have bought that purchase Mm -hmm. and so the, the the most powerful quote unquote treatment is knowing that it's real, 
but it's not true. Mm -hmm. So your experience is real, but everything that you're experiencing is not true. So you don't have to look around you in fear. You don't have to be trying to find out if there's, you know, a wildcat around the corner that's going to mm-hmm. attack you. Mm-hmm. you. You don't have to look at yourself in shame and horror for being a horrible person. Mm-hmm. It really brings the idea of accepting the experience and not buying into it. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of letting the, fe- the feeling come and letting it go, too, that, yeah. that it's, it's, it's just a feeling. It's not actually a fact. Right, which is why a lot of moms feel like distraction is the best way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some moms who feel like mindfulness can work, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I think that turning to mindfulness when your emotional experience is valid, mm-hmm. and, and as much as I'm a fan of validating people's emotional experiences, and I think that's an important thing, a woman with DMER, her emotional experience it's not valid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. real. Yeah. It's very, very real. But you don't need to turn your attention towards it. You don't. You don't need to be mindful about it. You don't need to be curious about it. You don't mm-hmm. need to understand it better. Mm-hmm. You need to turn on the latest season of Orange is the New Black and just pretend it's not happening to the best of your ability. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. That's a really interesting one because that you know I was going to ask about treatment and and sort of how you help women through it. And it sounds like distraction is a, is a really important um, strategy. Yeah, it really is. It seems to be most beneficial. And actually there's, um, I can't remember the name of the researcher right now, but if you want to email me later to put it into show notes, we could. Yes. Uh, But she uh, is a trauma researcher Mm -hmm. and she researched on the benefits of games like Tetris and Candy Crush on Mm -hmm. the brain. Okay. When one is going through traumatic emotions Mm -hmm. and that actually helps the brain change the way that it's functioning in order to help uh, heal the emotional feelings of trauma. Hmm. So though I haven't ever done any kind of informal study to see how that applies to DMER, Mm -hmm. the number of moms who talk about playing Candy Crush (laughs) during DMER, (laughs) there are a lot of them. So it seems like there could be something to that, that they're naturally being drawn to something that helps take their brain off the feeling of emotional trauma that they're feeling at the at the moment yeah interesting really interesting that's interesting because I I ended up like just sort of like sitting there and and sort of knowing it would go away in the two minutes and you know maybe because it was more of a grief experience versus a shame experience for me Mm -hmm. um that you know sometimes I would just sit there and you know like cry for two minutes you know and feel really (laughs) profoundly sad and say like okay this is here's this feeling and and you know someday I might feel grief like this and it won't go away in two minutes and you know to sort of like be with it but um and get curious about it yeah right for sure right but this is with years of mindfulness you know like and and also being a therapist and knowing like it's okay to feel certain feelings it doesn't make me a bad person and that's a huge position of privilege for me Right. Um, yeah. And the level of emotional resilience, intelligence, vocabulary, and previous life history is, is going to determine a mother's experience with DMER. Sure. Um, and I think, too, I mean, I had despondency DMER, and though it was severe, so I had intrusive thoughts of self-injuring mm-hmm. and suicidal ideation mm-hmm. and, you know, great despondency, 
despondency is more of this deep, heavy internal experience. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes have great moments of empathy for the mothers who feel anxiety and panic or anger Mm -hmm. um, as a result of their DMER, because that's another way it can manifest, though it's less common. Mm, Interesting. Okay. But those emotions are, they're louder. Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so the external pull that those particular emotions feel it's much harder to to sit quietly yeah with you you know what I mean the the difference between sitting with a heaviness of despondency Mm -hmm. versus this urgency of anxiety or the color of anger Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. I can see how mindfulness practice with those kinds of emotions would be much more difficult when it's something that again, it's going to be gone in two minutes. <laughs> right, right, right. By the time, yeah, by the time you're sort of breathing through it, right, you're, yeah. you're actually probably more activated at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really, uh, that's really interesting. And I love uh, the prescription of oranges, the new black. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> um, and I, and I think it's really helpful to know about even these intricacies for each woman that is still quite different, um, even though there's this um, camaraderie and connection that each mm-hmm. person, it's still different. Um, I think the things that you listed on were, you know, life experience, education, things like that. Um, and and of course, that's going to make all of us so different. And I, I really appreciate um, how you're quoting Lisa Barrett's work in terms of, I think that's such a great way to to think about that in terms of um, how how our emotions actually sort of like filter through us and get expressed in our experience. Yes, the, the, our, our, our neurotransmitters could be doing the exact same thing, but how you feel when you're sad could actually be very different than how I feel when I'm sad. And right. a really great experience of that I had is that uh, of, of the awareness of that is that a lot of moms with mild DMER will talk about how they feel homesick. And it's, oh, just a, mm-hmm, it's an mm-hmm. interesting word that they, you know, I didn't give them that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they brought that word to me. Yeah. And so Diane Wiesinger and I were talking about the nuance of that. And she, she kept describing it on how it was on the, the spectrum of pleasure and pain, that there's a, a wistfulness about it. And it's mm-hmm. not all bad. And mm-hmm. I throwed my eyebrow at her and I'm like, homesickness is awful. awful. <laughs> and she yeah. said, what does homesickness feel like to you? I said, it's abandonment. Yeah. It's, it's all, it, it's being alone and isolated yes. and, yeah. Yeah. and away from any source of security or safety. And yeah. she was like, oh, oh sweetie, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I'm in therapy. But, <laughs> yeah. 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 but the words that we're given as children that we, and, and as we continue to grow up, that we attach to a certain feeling in our body and yet we're using these words assuming that other people are uh, know what we mean. Right, right. I mean, that's such a limitation in therapy, right? That, you know, when yeah. people will say, well, I feel, even get, getting people to say, um, you know, what their emotion is that they're feeling is first also, you know, like, first is really difficult. And then to have that connection with someone and to say, well, tell me what sadness is like for you. Tell me where right. you feel that in your body. Tell me what that's like for you, you know, um, understandably some people kind of, again, sort of furrow their brow at me, but it yeah. really is so individual. I mean, like you're saying your experience of homesickness and, and I'm even sort of wanting to add like, sort of like, um, 
desperation you know to me it feels right. like very desperate and scary and but you know like diane's definition of it being being wistful it's like yeah she obviously was very supported when she went away to camp right. you know like, <laughs> <laughs> she felt very safe and secure and she was okay right she just wanted the macaroni and cheese at home <laughs> versus like everyone's gonna forget about me <laughs> oh my goodness so what have you, have you been able to um, drill down, you know, working with this, all of the researchers and, and mentors that you've been working with, have you, what have you learned about sort of the, the physiological and hormonal things that are happening? You know, I mean, I think you could probably tell me a lot about when we're breastfeeding, you know, just even like across through the through the sort of like the time that we breastfeed, whatever that is, you know, it may be a week, it may be a year. Um, but also specifically for, for moms who are dealing with DMER. So it's a big question. <laughs> big it's a question. Big question. Uh, surprisingly, we know very, very little, even about the hormones of lactation. You mm. go, you go into even as being an IBCLC and you've got two things that are important to know. Prolactin makes milk and oxytocin moves milk. Uh, and there's a lot of emphasis put on those two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and lactation is a new science. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the breastfeeding rates going up, uh, as you know, they started to in the 70s and the 80s and continuing on uh, before that, when all mothers were breastfeeding, there was no science about it. No. There was, <laughs> we didn't need to know anything about it. We just needed it to work. Right. So now we're studying it, but it hasn't been that long. So you know, what is vasopressin doing? What is cortisol doing? Mm-hmm. What is insulin doing? What is all sure. of these probably get involved somehow. Um, but do we know what they're doing? Mm-hmm. No, not really, because oxytocin moves the milk and prolactin makes the milk. And that's all we need to know. Yeah. And that's not true. So there's a lot to still learn. Mm-hmm. As far as CMER, there hasn't been any evidence-based research that has been done in the labs to show us what's going on. It, it would be a great opportunity to understand hormones better because we could trigger it. Right. You know, right. we know how to make it happen. Put mm-hmm. somebody's, you know, brain hooked up to a scanner and let's, let's watch it light up. You got two minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there are, there are a lot more important things to study when it comes to chemicals and hormones um, mm. other than very sad breastfeeding mothers. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't agree, but yeah, uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of researchers do. Yeah. But the working theory that has some anecdotal evidence and a lot of the direction that mothers go in trying to ease their experience is uh, the neurotransmitter dopamine. Because what we do know is that dopamine is considered prolactin's gatekeeper. Mm. Uh, So that, that is scientifically documented that dopamine and prolactin have a relationship with one another. In order for prolactin to rise, dopamine has to kind of open a door and dip and lower and get out of the way so that prolactin can go up. Uh, And prolactin is a mood stabilizer and a very fast-acting neurotransmitter. So based on some of things that we've had a chance to play around with, Uh it looks like slightly manipulating dopamine levels does have an impact on DMER. Okay. Um, So that perhaps a mom with DMER has inappropriately acting dopamine levels. So at the time of milk release, um, oxytocin spikes and the milk starts moving. 
Uh, but prolactin also starts this slow climb in order to tell the body, okay, well, we have a bunch of milk leaving the body, so let's start making some more milk. But prolactin can't do that job until dopamine gives Gets it permission way, yeah. to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but once prolactin starts that slow rise, dopamine levels can normalize and do their thing. So there's a timeline there. And there was a study done in lactating rats. Mm. Uh, that documented that, um, so we have in the, in regular medical knowledge, this relationship between dopamine and prolactin, but in lactating rats, there was additional documentation done that showed that when prolactin rises in a lactating rat, dopamine does have a brief drop. Mm. Uh, so does that carry over to humans? We, we don't know. Okay. Um, but there's a little something for us to cling to as well as the mothers who seem to find some relief mm-hmm. in supporting their dopamine levels. Mm-hmm. And how would you uh, invite moms to support their dopamine levels? Well, generally moms who just have my, any mother who feels like uh, knowledge and distraction is enough to help her meet her initial breastfeeding goals. Um, let's just go with that. So it's kind of going to be like as little intervention as possible uh, with the goal of getting a mother with DMER to her original breastfeeding goal. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally understand when a mom decides to wean because of DMER, but it makes me very, very sad. Mm. But DMER is changing the timeline of mother's initial breastfeeding goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so her, t- her tolerance level is going to be dependent. Um, and there isn't anything evidence-based that can be clearly prescribed or suggested. Sure. And it also depends on uh, a mother and who she may be working with because it would be best if she did get guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, per, that care provider's uh, scope of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also have to pause inside my scope of practice before I just start listing things off that can help. There are easy things when it comes to what we already know, like exercise, mm-hmm. like basic self-care, because here's the thing is that no matter how low a mom is feeling, DMER is going to take her lower. Right. So let's keep her as high up as possible so that drop isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so managing stress. Self-care as far as sleeping um, and eating and staying hydrated and getting some kind of, you know, sunlight and exercise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All those things are going to help us feel better as humans, but it's going to impact a mother with DMER when it comes to helping her cope with her DMER feelings. Um, And then with all of the proper disclaimers, I was able to put into the book some of the other uh, natural remedies um, and one of the possible prescription op- uh, options that mothers can talk about with their providers. Okay. Um, and so that information is out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any Google search of naturally supporting dopamine levels is going to be helpful. And then there's a lot of talk on the boards with moms and various things that they are that they are trying and doing on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often don't have to intervene with any kind of, you know, official medical advice. Nobody's doing anything, you know, terribly risky or Dangerous. unsafe. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. 
but mothers really do need to be working with somebody who has the uh, freedom to suggest and prescribe when it comes to possibly taking herbs or pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's and there's no there's no magic bullet. Yeah. Uh, there are definitely there's definitely a trend of things that mothers have tried that seems to uh, make an impact for the majority of mothers, perhaps, mm-hmm. but haven't come across anything that's been like. And this is it. Right, Do this right, and right. you're going to be fine. And it's all <laughs> gone. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, I feel like you might have been talking about this a little bit before we we're talking about the dopamine levels. But is there anything that we're finding that sort of or excuse me, not we are me and the mouse in my pocket, right? Um, that you're finding that's different for the moms who are dealing with DMER, like in terms of. A, a, you know, mental health history or, um, you know, even, you know, pregnancy experience, it just anything that crosses over, is it just really kind of random? So far, absolutely. And it's one of the things that is, you know, most talked about uh, a, a lot of the posts um, that I'll see is moms popping on saying, I have thyroid issues. Mm-hmm. Who else has thyroid issues? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. They want to know why me. Sure, of course. Um, and why you and what makes us the same and why are we different? Right. Uh, but no, in all of the 3,000 mothers that I've worked with at this point, I have not found one common denominator when it comes to separation of mom and baby, drugs used during uh, labor, history yeah. of lactation, history of mental health, history of abuse, um, medical history, current medical problems, if you name diabetes, blood sugar, infertility, (laughs) thyroid, fertility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, nothing. Yeah, nothing. So that's really frustrating for you as a researcher. I mean, maybe it's not really frustrating for you as a researcher, but as uh, for me, as both a therapist and somebody who dealt with this, there's something... Mm really actually important and lovely about that is that it's a great equalizer, right? There's nothing that I did, right? There's nothing that any of us did because that's, that's certainly where we go, especially in those moments. Like, what did I do? What's wrong with me? Right. And how did I bring it on myself? Because I feel like that's such a, uh, an epidemic of moms, you know, like, how do I blame myself for this so I can control it and change it? (laughs) Yeah. And if we also can have the understanding of the why, then maybe we can fix or prevent, especially because it often, once it manifests inside a lactation, 99.9% chance it's going to manifest in future lactations. Right. Um, And, you know, it aided me in being taken seriously in the fact that I only had it with my third because very quickly I was labeled as somebody who had, you know, sexual abuse that, you know, had been repressed. And so therefore the nipple stimulation was causing this despondency end of story. And it was like, nope, no, no, (laughs) because it didn't happen with my first two. And I could be cooking dinner and have a spontaneous letdown. And I'm put into the same emotional place. So this is not repressed trauma for me or anybody else who's dealing it. Is some kind of trauma in your past going to possibly make it worse? Sure. Of course. Right. Right. The way it could make Um, anything worse. Right. (laughs) Right. But it's physiological. What's also interesting, and I'd be curious to hear if this is your experience. Did it have a ghost like memory for you from sometime in your past of I don't feel this feeling often, but I have felt this before? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. 
Okay, because there's a lot of that of, and that's another, and it's a, it's a sticky thing because it's yeah. another thing that wants, you know, that that any skeptics want to then point to some kind of repressed trauma, trauma. Yeah. is I, ca- I call it ghost dysphoria. Yeah. Um, where there's this vague sensation of, I have felt this horrible before as a child, and it's scary and isolating and alone, and I don't remember when, I don't remember why. Right. But the, the, the unique description of the experience of that hit in the stomach, the drop in the stomach, mm-hmm. it's fast onset, yep. it's shortness of time is so unique mm-hmm. that, we, th- that I hear from people who have had it pop up under different situations where it's like, I'm not nursing, so I don't have DMER. But this explanation that you have on your website, that happens to me before I have a hot flash. Oh, yeah. And there's also post-coil dysphoria, where, again, the description that I have on my website, Uh post-coil dysphoria researchers have come to me and they said, you nailed this. This is exactly what we see in our patients. This is what they're experiencing after they orgasm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So there is a unique chemical cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. That happens to humans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. And I happen to have stumbled upon the humans that are lactating mm-hmm. that have this mm-hmm. hormonal cocktail happen to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably but most frequently. Really, Probably most frequently. Right. Within. And so it can be triggered. Yes. It can be called on. Right. And it's going to ha- it's going to happen 24 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> um. But they're not freaks. This is something that physiologically our body does. Right. We just don't know exactly what it is or why. It just feels horrible. It feels horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have to say that um, I can't be sure that I remember uh, sort of that, that ghost feeling that you're talking about um, mm-hmm. that I think you're describing really well, actually. Um, but it, it is, you know, it was interesting to sort of be reading your um description and and be so far away from nursing and then have it start to come back you know like you know it didn't trigger it for me but like oh my god that's right and I that's what that's what it was it wasn't it wasn't until um I was reading I went oh my god that's right I got so nauseous I couldn't even look at food you know Mm -hmm. and I had I had forgotten all about that and you know again also as a therapist I think back to when we're when we're meaning making right like People try to explain like, oh, it must be because of the trauma. And, you know, also uh, I can I can also imagine that we're really sort of forgetting that also, you know, maybe I I think as we grow, we don't feel our feelings in the same way as we do when we're children. I mean, you know, there there's wide variety of this, but in terms of just how we are but emotions are scarier as a as a child so, and we have yeah. less concept and understanding of them and, and so sweeping. the magnitude of them yes yes they just feel like they just come over you and own you right yeah and so um i can imagine feeling very connected to that experience with dmer without a a childhood you know like capital t as we say in the business capital t trauma but right. just like to feel swept away and scared and out of control like to- this is yeah. beyond me right right um but again 
I do think, especially, and I'm sort of like going to get on my soapbox, you don't have to join me, but um, when this is a, a, a female exclusive experience, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, the number of things that we've been told that, yeah. you know, to ignore, to not listen to, or just, you know, like, oh, that might be a thing, but I'm just like, you know, like, we're just not really going to study well, that, right? Yeah, I mean, we, ha- we have to keep our hysteronics under control. <laughs> uh, yes, I will, I will join you on your soapbox because it does tie into why, why were women, qui- why were women quiet for so long? Right. Why, you know, I, I ended up being the one who talked until somebody listened. And mm. so now we have thousands of voices behind it. But yeah, what is in our uh, female programming society wise that causes to be something that was so shameful? Right. Um, because our emotions are invalid, because we're always making such a big deal of things, right. because our partner is not going to understand this, because I just had a baby. And so obviously I'm overreacting I'm and so overemotional. <laughs> so many ingrained messages. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, that makes me wonder, you know, as if you're not filling all of your time studying this and and helping moms through it, like, are there other conditions that you find you're coming across that don't have a name, but but you're finding as a consultant um, and talking, you know, actually sitting with women, talking with women, listening to them and being curious about just their experience? Are there things that, you know, don't have a name that we need to put a name to. Well, I think that, I think that medically that, that that is, that it is happening and that the internet does serve that because people can go to the internet now and, and make sure that they're not alone. Um, so when I first started the work with DMER before it had a name, when I probably only found other, maybe 20 other women like me, there were, uh, small handful five three three five women who had found each other on a message board talking about what they called sad nipple syndrome (laughs) which was non-lactating women who had the same dysphoric experience that and again i'm going to pause dysphoria is a term that just talks about a negative emotional state right I am finding that at least in my community and surrounding communities are adapting it to describe this particular negative emotional experience. Mm. So it's becoming more nuanced among those that I talk to and work with Mm -hmm. because they latch on to the description that doesn't have a name except this broad name of dysphoric or dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So dysphoria itself is not what you experienced with I mean you did Mm -hmm. but you also feel you also feel dysphoria you know when a pet dies right 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 but it's not the same kind of dysphoria you had when you were pumping right so it is a very unique kind Mm -hmm. uh so the the few moms that were talking about this sad nipple syndrome were alone yeah their doctors didn't know what to make of it they felt ashamed and it was this dysphoric experience that happened with erotic nipple stimulation they weren't lactating it didn't happen after orgasm it was just during erotic nipple play and of course they were thinking repressed sexual history you know sexual trauma 
and you know this might must be psychological but again there was something there that was being uh, triggered uh chemically to make it physiological so it was exactly the same just a different trigger Mm -hmm. um i heard from somebody else who had the same unique kind of dysphoria uh, before she had seizures wow yeah well, we just keep uh, coming back to these neurotransmitters, don't we? <laughs> that's the thing. There's a lot going on with neurotransmitters that we don't under that we don't understand and that we don't have names for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, DMER itself, it's not like it's in the diagnostic um, standards DSM. manual. Yeah, it's not. No, not even no. close. Not even close. No, not even close. Yeah. It is in the lactation textbook. Well, several. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, not to actually be diagnosed by a care provider. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Oy. <laughs> That's, um, it's so, it's, it's so amazing. I, I feel like I'm, um, I'm not, but I want to sort of w- want to be wearing my like believe woman, believe women t-shirt, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like <laughs> not just, you know, that, that definitely, um, got popularized during uh me too and time's up but just just in general like how about we just try to believe <laughs> try to mm-hmm. believe people's experiences yeah and just because you haven't heard of it before or you haven't experienced yourself doesn't mean that it's not real or right. valid exactly uh, we, uh, we i mean we benefit from just treating humanity that way across the board better but for sure absolutely um so i know i have like a couple more questions for you yeah, yeah. um that that were started out as more broad, but you know we talked about, or I sort of let you know that, you know, wondering about um, sort of like top tips or advice in various stages of the postpartum year, and we can talk about you know more about DMER in terms of that, or you know just you know yeah. Uh- yeah, stay, staying on the topic, since that's where all my focus is, sure. you know, DMER as your baby ages is a journey, mm-hmm. um, especially because we haven't touched on the fact that a lot of mild and moderate cases will self-correct as the baby grows. Oh, really? Hmm. Um, so uh, severe DMER will often last past the first year, sometimes longer. Uh, a lot of moms with mild DMER will find that in three to six months time it lifts. And a lot of moms with moderate will find that between 9 and 12 months that it starts to lift as well. So it seems that as the milk supply changes and, of course, as a baby grows, uh, hormones inside lactation do start changing. So huh. in whatever way they may be changing, yeah. um, some moms do find relief. So the interesting thing with moms with DMER versus moms without that experience is that a lot of moms without that experience um, only think about weaning a few times. They'll think about their initial breastfeeding goals uh, before they have the baby. You know, they maybe will think about it as they encounter the initial struggles of breastfeeding and is she going to stick with it or is she not going to stick with it? And once a mom settles into it, it may come to her mind again when she goes back to work or the baby's first birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, it's not much reason to give it a whole lot of thought, whereas moms with DMER will often ruminate on it. Sure. Uh, because can I, can I make it another, can I make it? <laughs> another day, you know? Yeah, another day. Yeah. Think about it every... My original, right, never mind to my original breastfeeding goal. So I encourage moms to play with their mind, mm. <laughs> get curious, mm-hmm. and find out which trick works best. Does mm-hmm. it work best to 
tell yourself you just need to get through today and you can decide about weaning tomorrow mm-hmm. and then rinse and repeat the next day? Mm-hmm. Or does it work better to say, I've got a month in me. I'm just going to do this for a month. I'm going to look at it. Maybe it will be better in a month. Mm-hmm. This could get better as my baby gets older. So mm-hmm. in a month, I'm going to find out if it feels better. Mm-hmm. Um, so does the long term, you know, which works better uh, for a mom with DMER and and just like whether a mom prefers mindfulness or distraction, mm-hmm. her relationship with the thoughts of weaning are also going to be unique to her. Mm-hmm. But but being deliberate about what seems to help and practicing that yeah. is also going to save her from the discouragement that she feels in the middle of a DMER episode where she just wants to say, I cannot ever do this again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's really helpful. Thank you. That's and, and even just those numbers are really helpful, you know, in terms of where people yeah. tend to fall. Um, yep. And with uh, and at the same time, I hear you acknowledging the the significant individuality by for every everyone's individual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, so can you tell me <laughs> as a lactation consultant, because I feel like it's all over the board as I'm looking at these things. I know what what worked for my body, but are lactating, are lactation promoting foods a thing? Are they a thing or are they not a thing? Uh, obviously, the evidence-based research for it is minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if a mom, if it's safe and a mom believes it's a thing, then it's a thing. Yeah. Yep. And, the, and that's all that matters. Yep. If, yeah. it, if it helps her uh, mentally, emotionally, and and therefore, if for nothing else, physically, because mm-hmm. if a mom feels like she's doing something, then generally things get better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if taking something safe mm-hmm. uh, helps her feel like she's doing something, then that may help. But it's never a replacement for what, for what we do know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is to keep moving the milk. Yeah. Uh, taking milk out makes more milk. End of story. And nothing is ever going to replace that, as well as the efficiency of a well latched baby on the breast being the most effective way to move that milk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, um, as I found out, a much bigger question mark than anybody ever prepares you for. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the lanolin ointment. There's no research that that, that really helps with healing. Mm-hmm. But, man, when you have sore nipples, how good does it feel to put <laughs> something on them afterwards? Yes. You're doing something. Yes. And so if that's soothing self-care, then by all means, as long as you're not allergic to wool, because that doesn't look <laughs> <That's>, pretty. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's that's so great. And I think such a great um, such a great comment. I'm sure that's going to be at least once in the book and it will be prominently featured on uh, social media uh, promoting the podcast. Um, But that idea of like really honoring what feels good and what you believe feels good for your body as essential self-care that we're told Uh, so prescriptively and and, and that's that actually isn't really helpful. And, and that's the stuff we stick with, right? The, th- the stuff that we feel works mm-hmm. <laughs> and is right. helpful. Yeah. And I mean, as, a, as an IBCLC that have moms, um, you know, have seen moms really struggle with low milk supply, 
I'm never going to undercut the science that we do know mm-hmm. um, or the things that are not safe because we know because of science. Right. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like, okay, science first, but man, intuition right. and, and, and yes, trusting yourself mm-hmm. and, and belief in magical thinking. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Get if it works. I'm going to challenge it if I, if it's hurting people, but otherwise like, whatever. But if it's helping you, you want to pull out crystals, pull out crystals. Yeah, whatever, man. If you always have to face South, it's fine. If you're, and if it's, you know, it's so much of like my experience, but also, you know, what I, what I read and read and read and read, it was just like, whatever can bring the stress level down and believing that you're doing something that helps. Yeah you is going to bring your stress level down, right? Like I do this sure. thing and that helps and et cetera. Yeah. And I mean, it's the same thing. There are some moms when they experience DMER, um, they want somebody who is empathetic and understanding and supportive near them. Some moms just feel like having somebody nearby makes it worse and they need to isolate themselves. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. who you are and what feels best is going to be very individual. And, and moms have they have my permission. Mm. They have my permission to not stay at the extended family meal <sighs> when she's suffering with DMER. Right. She gets to go where she wants to go without any explanation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whatever ends up being best is going to, uh, for, for the mom, she has permission to do with no apologies in that regard. Love that. We'll, we'll print you out some permission slips just to hand out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So I, well, and I think even with partners, to, you know, to be able to think about even communication skills because it's such a hard thing. And, and um, if, you're, if your partner, if, I'm going to go with gender norms, if yeah. your partner is a male who likes to fix things, mm-hmm. he's going to feel frustrated mm-hmm. for you and mm-hmm. he's going to show his concern for you mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't necessarily translate as quiet empathy. Right. So mothers who are able to find language such that such as it's okay that you don't understand and it's okay that you don't fix it. I just mm-hmm. need you to accept me and believe me. Right. And do this thing <laughs> or not do this thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And even if it's just accept and believe, that's mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that fixes so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and mothers don't always have that kind of, of vocabulary to pull from when talking to their partners. Yeah. Um, so it can be a, a source of discord and disconnection between the mom and her partner in that regard, mm. um, which, again, is going to make the DMER harder. Right. So right, finding right. finding support and communicating between the two is is an important part of it. Yeah. Wow. Beautifully said. We're actually the I'm recording another podcast today and it's um, with uh, Sarah Swafford, who wrote a book on postpartum sex. And I think you're just absolutely leading us into the second <laughs> so well done on that that was no that was not and listeners there was no coaching <laughs> she did it all on her own. um so a question that i um forgot to send you that um this is sort of a new uh structure of the the interview um with this postpartum special series but um something that i've been asking my moms is um if you could meet yourself um, somewhere in your postpartum year or years rather um, and offer that mom um, either some advice or comfort in some sort of way, um, what would that be for you? 
there's nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You are doing the best that you can. And sometimes your best feels, um, I don't know what words I'm allowed to use on this podcast. Oh, all of them. All of them. Great. <laughs> sometimes your best feels shitty, mm-hmm. but it's still your best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so self-compassion um, heals a lot of things. Oh, yes. You heard it here, everyone. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I I do wish that we could do that, that we could somehow go back and say those things to ourselves. I think we do, but um, I think in you saying that to yourself, you say that to a lot of people um, mm-hmm. listening to this. So thank you. Um, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much. You're um, very welcome. I've enjoyed talking with you. It's been such a pleasure. Tell um, tell our listeners all the places we can find you. Oh, all the places. Well, the best place to go is to d-mer.org. Don't forget that hyphen. Mm. You know, if the domain without the hyphen ever comes free, <laughs> I got to snatch it up. But yeah. d-mer.org, and you're going to find everything from there. There's the support group for moms. Um, which, again, still has several thousand moms now, very active, very warm, very welcoming. Um, and then it also links you to my general Facebook page where I'll post links of podcasts and interviews and articles and things like that. Um, and also from the website, it links to the book, which is available on Amazon and paperback and Kindle. So really your website is your one-stop shop. One-stop shop. Awesome. Excellent. Well, I... I imagine, um, you know, like the cool thing about this podcast is just sort of like sending it out to the universe and then like knowing that the people are going, you know, someone's going to listen to this and find like, oh my God, <laughs> this is, yeah, this yeah. is going on with me and I'm not I know. alone. We make jaws drop and people feel better. <laughs> yes. Yes. What, um, they are not alone and I love finding the moms who express that to me that mm-hmm. suddenly realize that they don't have to feel alone mm-hmm. so that's it moms that's the last bite for today but in case you're hungry for more head on over to the Mama Bites website that's M-O-M-M-A Mama Bites website and stream more of our podcasts or find them anywhere that you find your podcasts iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play And don't forget to stop by Instagram and definitely come on by our Facebook group, the Mama Bites Lunch Table. We'd love to have you there. And until we meet again next time, remember, motherhood is a long journey. Don't forget to pack some snacks.